This is not a wishful thought. This is a reality for you and for me. This is exactly why Jesus came. He did not have to come for God to be his father, but he had to come for God to be your father. And Jesus said, when you pray, say, Father. Now, we've been in this study, but this morning we come to the Father chapter of the whole Bible. Are you ready? Some of you are sitting there thinking, it's about time you got to the, the Father chapter of the Bible. I mean, what have you been, you've been waiting for? Well, um, the word Father is used 172 times by Jesus referring to God. 172 times. Of those, 21 of those times are in one chapter. So 10%, more than 10%, it's about 14% of all the times that Jesus used Father, he used it in this one chapter, and that would be John chapter 15, 14. Turn with me in your Bibles, please. John chapter 14. For the context, it really starts in chapter 13. Jesus is at the end of his life on earth. He's got, this is his final, really, half day. He's got less than a day to live on earth. And what's he going to do? He's going to rally those closest to him. So he's got his disciples of all things that happens to be on the day of known as Passover. Uh, they have a Passover meal prepared, a Passover room to enjoy that meal. And um, he's with his disciples. John chapter 13, verse 3, gives the context. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist, and he poured water in a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel he had wrapped around himself. So that's the context. But listen to verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things to him. Are you kidding me? Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things to him. It's incredible. Knowing that he had come from the Father and knowing that he's about to go back to the Father, that's the context for these chapters. Chapter 13 of John initiates the whole flow of the evening. The Passover meal normally is the big deal, but not this year, because it was after the meal that Jesus washed the disciples' feet. He serves them a piece from the matzah or the unleavened bread that would have been on the, the table and says, this is my body. He takes one of the chalices and said, this is my blood in, in the new covenant. And he says, when you eat this and when you drink this, remember me, remember me. For as long until I return, remember me by doing this, remember me. 
Then we come to chapter 14. And this is the father chapter of the whole Bible. More often, verse for verse, in this one chapter, does Jesus talk about his relationship with the father as the son. The first time is verse 6. John 14, 6 is one of the landmark verses in the entire Bible. It's here that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. And then these words, no one comes to the Father but by me. Not through any other world religious leader, not by any other means, not by any effort of your own. The only way anyone will ever be able to come to my Father, Jesus is saying, is by me. Now what he's doing here is he's, he's pinpointing the, the tip of the spear of his mission. This is why I have come is so that you, any of you, can come to the Father by me. This is the heart of our study these days as we come to the end of 2019 is to see the reality of what it means for us to be able to call God Father. And that the only way to come to the Father is through the Son, Jesus. Amen. Now, <clears throat> to that incredible landmark revelation that Jesus gives here in John 14, in response to that, Philip said to him, Lord, um, <clears throat> show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. There's always one in the crowd. Uh, usually we expect it to be Peter to put his foot in his mouth, but this time it's Philip. I can guarantee you Peter was thinking it. Yes, he but he had already been told, you're going to deny me three times. So uh, Peter reeled it in a little bit, and Philip blurts it out. Now, 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 it was a logical question. Here Jesus is pointing from himself to the Father, but Philip says, now, if you just show us the Father... You've waited all this time, but now would you finally show us the Father? Now the fact of the matter is, as logical as that question sounds, it's the stupidest question maybe ever asked. Why? 
Because everything Jesus had done was showing the Father. Every word Jesus spoke, every single word Jesus had spoken was showing the Father. Every miracle Jesus performed was showing the Father. Every blind eye that was open was showing the Father. When Jesus walked on water, it was showing the Father. When he took bread and broke it and fed 5,000 people, he was showing the Father. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, he was showing the Father. Every word, every single sentence Jesus spoke with showing the Father. Now, Philip was speaking for the whole crowd. None of the disciples said, oh, that's a stupid question. None of the disciples explained the reality. Jesus had to. And here he makes this It's a breathtaking statement. There's no way to overemphasize the impact of these words. Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Now, Philip wasn't asking about Jesus. Philip was asking about the Father. But when Philip said, show me the Father and that will be enough, Not seeing in Jesus the Father meant that Philip did not know who Jesus was. Could I have been with you, Philip, this long and you still do not know me? You see, he didn't say, you still don't know the Father. He said, you still don't know me. If you think you know Jesus but don't see in Jesus, everywhere in Jesus. If you don't see the Father, you really don't know Jesus. That's what he's saying. And then this statement. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. To look at me is to look at the Father. To listen to me is to listen to the Father. To see me in action is to see the Father in action. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me, does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Brothers and sisters, I want to let you in on a secret. The longer I follow Jesus the more I realize I become increasingly childlike. In fact, spiritual maturity, Christian maturity is gauged 
according to you becoming less childish and more childlike. Just to help us, I created a little compare and contrast. Because childish is immature. But in the Christian life, to be childlike, is, that is the number one sign of spiritual maturity. Yes. Is you become more childlike. To be childish is to be foolish. But to be childlike is to be playful. Are you becoming increasingly playful in your relationship with God? You are if you're growing up as a Christian. You're becoming more playful. To be childish is to be irresponsible, but to be childlike is to be spontaneous. Are you becoming increasingly spontaneous as you follow Jesus? You are if you are growing in maturity. To be childish, it's immature, but to be childlike, it's flexible. Are you growing in flexibility as you follow Jesus? Or are you becoming sedimentary, rigid, like a crusty old person? One of my prayers is, Lord, deliver me from ever being a crusty old guy. I want to increasingly, the longer I follow Jesus, to become more playful, more spontaneous, more flexible. To be childish is to be reckless, but to be childlike is to be easily surprised. One of the things I always loved about being a dad is how often my kids would say, do it again. Oh, do it again. You know, and when you do it again, it's like you did it the first time. They enjoy it just as much the, the 20th time as the first time. Oh, do it again. Oh, do it again. It's that white. <laughs> as a grandfather, you get tired of it, but as a dad, you love it. You know, kids will wear you down on do it again. But the longer I follow Jesus, the more I'm following, saying, do it again. Do it again. God, that's incredible. Do that again. To be childish is to be careless. To be childlike is to be dependent. And the longer you follow Jesus and the more spiritually mature you get, the more dependent you ought to become. You ought to be aware that you can do nothing apart from him the longer and the more mature you become. To be childish is to be demanding. But to be childlike is to be grateful. Part of spiritual maturity, part of Christian maturity is to become increasingly childlike. And unless we become like a child, that means unless we become childlike, we have no part of the kingdom of God. 
Everything in the kingdom is only understood and received and experienced when we approach it as a child. Now, to make things simpler, Jesus makes it apparently more complex. Stick with me. In John chapter 14, Jesus not only gives the clearest revelation that he is on equal footing with the Father, but in John 14, Jesus introduces us not just to the Father in him, but to the Holy Spirit. Now, a, 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 a brand new Christian would think, oh, now this is getting too, too complicated. The Father I can understand and the Son I can understand, but don't try to convince me about the Holy Spirit. No, let me tell you, you'll really never understand the Son until you understand the Holy Spirit. Yes. So Jesus clearly does the right thing. Verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, verse 17, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. What's he talking about? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Where do we get the Holy Spirit from? From the Father. And what's the Holy Spirit do? Now listen to this carefully. This is so powerful. The Holy Spirit introduces us to Jesus. Amen. He glorifies Jesus. He draws our attention to Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He takes us to the Father. And what's the Father do? He gives us the Holy Spirit. And what's the Holy Spirit do? He draws us to Jesus. And what's Jesus do? He introduces us to the Father. And what's the Father do? He gives us the Holy Spirit. Anybody feeling me this morning? Don't let anybody take from you the biblical teaching of the Trinity. Amen. Let me tell you something. As long as I have breath, I will battle to defend our confidence in the Trinity. Amen. Amen. Because increasingly, you can mark my words, increasingly in the next several years, you will see more and more teachers deny the reality of the Trinity. Don't settle for just the Father because you'll never understand him without the Son. But don't settle for just the Father and the Son because without the Holy Spirit, you'll never understand the Son. And without the Son, you'll never understand the Father. Amen. So here, Jesus takes these guys that he's been with for three years and he tells them um, soon this Holy Spirit who's been kind of uh, 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 with you as a uh, visitor, he's now going to be in you like a permanent resident and you're going to get him from the Father and he's the Spirit of truth and he will take what is mine and will make it known to you like you've never known before. Yeah. 
So what Jesus is doing here is he's explaining to every one of us that we today know who Jesus is better than the disciples did who lived with him. The disciples had lived with them at this point for three years, and yet they did not know that the Father and the Son were equal. Ha! Huh? Why? Because they didn't yet have the Holy Spirit. They had Jesus, but Jesus without the Holy Spirit, you're not going to get it. Now, I don't want to blow our minds, but the fact is, don't think that we've got the Gospels to show us Jesus until we get to heaven, and then we're going to see the Father. Let me tell you, you will never, I will never, no one will ever see the Father apart from the Son. Yes. It's never going to happen. The Son is the Father. He's the image of the Father. And the only way to understand the Son is by virtue of the revelatory action of the Holy Spirit. So powerful. And what's this all about? It's all about being re-fathered, re-parented. Of God making us younger as we get older. Of us becoming less childish and more childlike. Now, Jesus goes a little deeper here. Some incredible verses yet to be read. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. This is this powerful picture of an ongoing, ever-deepening love relationship with the Father and with the Son. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. How will the Father and the Son make his home with us? By the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit coming and dwelling within us, making us his home. And when we become his home, what is that? That's being reparented. Reparented is the proper understanding of what Christian maturity is all about. It's not a bunch of rules or a bunch of, bunch of systems or, or heavy discipline. It's a matter of being reparented. It's what happens when the Father gives you the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit then dwells in you and you become activated so that you're seeing the Son. And in the Son, you're seeing the Father. And the Father gives you more of the Holy Spirit and he shows you more of the Son and the Son shows you more of the Father. Until we get to the last verse. Verse 31. Jesus brings it back to them, himself and he says, but I do as the Father has commanded me. 
so that the world may know that I love the Father. Think of that. Everything Jesus did boils down to him showing his love for the Father. It's his epitaph. It could have been put over his, on his cross. He loved the Father. That's what he said of himself. Everything I did was to show my love for the Father. How would you like that as your epitaph? She loved the Father. He loved the Father. Is there any higher calling? So what does that make us? We are here in Lilburn to show our community that we love the Father. Oh, as I was sitting under this text the past couple weeks, I saw mountains of debris between some of us in believing what I just taught. From not just believing, but experiencing. And this morning, like never before, I saw very distinctly that one of those mountains between where some of us are sitting here this morning and experiencing the reparenting of the Father love of God is a mountain of shame. Shame. Regret. I blew it. I don't know how God could love me after this. It's too late for me. I just can't accept the effect of shame. I want to tell you a powerful story about a man and his wife that I have grown to love and admire. Fred and Julie Pepperman. They lived up in north of Chattanooga in Tennessee. They were getting ready, they were approaching this year, their 28th wedding anniversary. They had four girls, all grown. The youngest was Gracie, 16. The oldest, Catherine, 24. And they decided to take a vacation to celebrate their anniversary back at the same beach on the west coast of Florida where they met each other where they courted, where they got engaged in a couple blocks from where they were married in the same town on the Gulf Coast of Florida. So they all got in their car and drove down, had a great week. On Sunday, it was July 14th, this summer, they all went to the beach to go swimming. What they didn't notice was the flag with two red diamonds on it that meant caution, uh, the water's dangerous. And before they knew what was happening, they had all been swimming, but Gracie got caught in the riptide that was taking her out. She started screaming. Catherine and Olivia were closer. They tried to swim in her direction, but they too got caught in the riptide. 
the mother, Julie, jumped in, but she was no match for it, and she got out quickly knowing that she'd be useless. But Fred did everything he could. He grabbed 24-year-old Catherine and pushed her out of the riptide. Then he grabbed uh, 20-year-old Olivia and pushed her out of the riptide, and Gracie was saying, Daddy, help me. And the last thing he said was, I've got you. He swam to Gracie, pushed her to the, out of the riptide. She was fine, but he had spent everything he had, and he went down. A bystander saw his body floating out a ways and swam out to retrieve him. They tried CPR. They tried pounding his chest. The kids were slapping his hands and his, his body, saying, no, Daddy, don't die. You can't die. Please, come back, Daddy. But it was too late. It was gone. Two days later, Julie gathered the girls to have a memorial service on that beach before they went back to Tennessee. And on that beach, Julie said three things that totally wrecked my world. She said to her girls, first of all, girls, your daddy did what every father should be willing to do. But your dad, unlike many others who would never do it, your dad did it. And no one will take that away from you. Then she said, when Catherine was born, your daddy loved you so much, perfectly, fully, but I was hoping for a boy because your dad is so active and so athletic and so into, into guy things. But when the next girl was born, he embraced you and, and treated you like the most special of all. And the third, the same. And the fourth, the same. He loved you perfectly. He was at every one of your soccer games. He coached when he could. He never missed an award ceremony. He could not have been more proud of each of you. And then she said, girls, before we leave this spot where your dad died two days ago, I want you to know, if God had come to your dad Sunday morning and said you're gonna die today and gave him a choice of how it would happen he would not have changed anything. He would have wanted to give his life for you, his most prized possession. Now, those girls showed up on that beach. You talk about shame. You talk about regret, guilt, loss. They were each saying, it's my fault. He wouldn't have died if it wasn't for me. If only I could have done more. The mother wisely communicated the redemptive nature of a good father's love for his kids. Now, you're sitting here this morning and you may think, I didn't have a dad like Fred Peppermint. But I'm here to tell you 
You may not have had a biological father who loved you like Fred Pepperman, but you have a heavenly father who loved you like that and even more. You have a father who did for you what every dad ought to be willing to do, but your dad did it. You and I were caught in the riptide of selfishness, and self-destructive patterns. But your dad died pushing you out of the riptide. And your dad loves you as if it's just you. To him, you're perfect. No matter what you've done, your dad loves you unconditionally. And unlike Fred Pepperman, Jesus had a choice. The Father gave Jesus the power to walk away but he didn't. He chose to do for you what no one else could ever do. That is the Father's love for you. Oh, if I could take the cords of shame off of you? If I could take the barricades off your heart, the gauze, the bandages, the wrappings around your wounds? But there is one who can. The Holy Spirit is a loving spirit He's a freeing spirit. He is bigger than your pain. He's a helper. He's a healer. He's a counselor. And more than anything, he's an activator of God's love. One of my favorite verses, this is in my holy place. It's Romans chapter 5, verse 5. It says, hope does not disappoint because God the Father has poured out into our hearts the love of God by the Holy Spirit. You can even hear what Jesus has done for you and it won't get you until the Holy Spirit pours the love of the Father in Jesus' name into your spirit. Change you forever. But it's my job in this moment to appeal to you on behalf of the Father.
Don't allow guilt, shame, regret, loss, rejection, abandonment, loneliness. Don't allow it to keep you any longer from the one who loves you. Open your heart today to the Father love of God. It will change you forever. We sang this morning about the God who leaves the 99. That's the one on my heart this morning. It's the one who's out caught on the edge of the cliff or in the brambles or in the gutter with a syringe in their arm or whatever it is. God loves you. God loves you. The one true God whose son is Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit wants to make Jesus known to you today. We're going to sing in a moment, and as we do, I want to encourage you. This morning, open your heart to the love of God. Let the Spirit of God change you from the inside. Just open your heart. Don't allow your mountain of shame keep you hiding any longer. Open your heart today to the Father love of God. Let's all stand together. Father, I bind the spirit of shame from any of us in this room and I loose the love of the Father. I bind regret and alienation and rejection and I loose the unconditional love of the Father. I bind even the painful memories of loss and I loose the fellowship of the Holy Spirit to make sense out of all of our loss. Jesus, we declare you are our Redeemer. And come now and minister in this room. Minister deeply. Apply the Father love of God to every heart here in places where we need it most. We open up this moment and give you space to move deeply, to bring change, to take out lies and minister by your Holy Spirit. Speak truth to our inner parts. In Jesus' name.